Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognar the Young, the Young Grognar, kicking it to you live for the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign with the adventure lords and the quest, Vengeance. That may be the fastest I've ever done it. But in any case, our party in the last episode ended up a Floridian retirement council uh, meeting the old man, Aldo Felthistle. I'm just kidding. Uh, we've ended up in halfling lands out here in Quarrydale, and the halfling striders had led the entirety of the dwarves in to the little halfling settlement here where the dwarves are hoping to seek refuge, asylum, maybe a peace treaty of sorts in order to broker some safe place for them to stay while their home is taken from them. Party had interesting discussions about what the heck happened there in the valley, that big old boom, and somebody had a weird little drop about their mama. I don't know who. We kind of all forgot. But the party wakens um, in a field of jumbo flowers, and just like had been discussed before, the first dwarves that wake up wake up yelling, hooting, hollering, and terror as gigantic bumblebees the size of pinatas just come strolling in for these giant flowers. Just and just come flying in. And dwarves start to scream and running around. And many of the halflings from the village come running in telling them to stop screaming or they'll get stung. And it's just a very, very strange time to be awake. Lika immediately expends her tongues for the hour and tries to talk to the bumblebees. Hey, buzz, 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 buzz. Um, <laughs> but then the bumblebees are just super amped to be getting all this wonderful flowered stuffs. And all these strange little furry jumbo halflings are running around in the flowers. And if they just hold still, it won't be a big deal. But if they have to get stung to hold still, they'll sting them. Um, yeah, the bumblebees, they just want to do their buzzins. And... I will also say, just by the nature of bumblebees communicating through movement and dance patterns, Klika's uh, only ability to speak bumblebee involves a lot of shaking her booty and like wiggling around and walking in strange circles. So Klika's good, good for that. That's how she always talks. <laughs> just less buzzing. Yeah. Okay. Just and gives so... out the hi, I'm Klika and Bumblebum. <laughs> and with that, they all just kind of like. <laughs> And they all start to bumble bum back. But yeah, they just go about their merry business with the plants. And many of the halflings come out here with sickle and shear and begin to 
dice around some of these gigantic dandelion greens and start to chop them up into finer pieces before bringing them back into the village and their little uh their little uh wheelbarrows and start to fry them up at their little homes and having the instruction of the elder of the village the keeper of the staff the whole village's worth of halflings fry up all the greens and bring out all the greens for the uh, dwarves to munch on in the morning so dandelion greens that have been spiced and treated are brought back to you guys in big old troughs and for what it's worth it's delicious this definitely tastes like something that people who have to live off the land have been making for hundreds of years it's nice it's earthy it's warm it's tasty and just greasy enough to be considered halfling food these dwarves are slowly becoming more vegetarian <laughs> they've been eating First mud and weeds <laughs> The straight up like plants. Well, I mean, I figure it's either become a vegetarian or go back to being a Durgar slave. So I guess, you know, when the cards are stacked against you, you'll eat the goddamn dandelions. But with that, the uh, old man halfling comes wandering out to the uh, fields where the party has been sleeping amongst the flowers. And he comes out there and a single bumblebee comes flying over, very low flying like a little freaking zeppelin and just doofs him over the head and knocks him over flat over and he just like thunks to the ground with a with a clamor and a clatter and he just lifts his little head up and he says yo i swear and he just kind of stands up brushing himself off and he says that one's rude anyway and he walks over to you guys and he says did you like the greens Uh, they were delicious kind keeper Kind Thank keeper, that's a generosity. good one. Oh, please, they did all the work. I just tapped this fancy doohickey here. And he holds up the staff again in the light. And looking at it now, you can see there's much life to the staff, as if the wood itself is almost like frozen in a state of perpetual perfection of, of just woods, woodcrafting, I guess. Like, it doesn't look like it's been preserved. It just looks like living tree that's fully thriving. But... With that, he just plants it to the ground again and says, Anywho, wasn't there a thing I had to do today? Don't I have to bring one of you to jail or something? Isn't that, is that you guys or is that somebody else? No, I think that's someone else. Um, Oh, good. You wouldn't cut it in a halfling prison. Especially not you. It looks over at Jarzak. I mean, I wouldn't fit in halfling prison, I assume. He's like, oh, they'd make you fit, boy. Yeah. Let me tell you what. And you only now notice that the halfling's knuckles are all tattooed profusely. But <laughs> with that, he says, anywho, it's time to get a mosey on, shall we? Please, lead the way. And so with that, he says, okay. And so with that, he just starts walking through the field in just a direction east. Like, he just starts walking through the field. He's not even following the road. He just goes... And all the dwarves are still mid-meal and like still hanging out and like stretching in the morning sun and everything. And he's just on his path. Uh, Norhill follows. All the dwarves see Norhill walk through the camp, followed by everybody else. And they all start to quickly scramble and scurry to put all their stuff together and go running out of here as quickly as possible. And follow this little halfling as he buzzes and whistles down the way and continues through the fields. And as he does, strange occurrences happen as you guys wander through thickets of trees and over streams and things as nature sort of 
lends him Magoo-styled passage as he goes to walk through a bit of the river and like stones float up to the surface so that he may walk on it. And as you guys approach with more people, more stones seem to float up to carry the weight of every person across. And stones begin to slowly go down as the people finish their passage. Trees begin to separate and move, like literally uprooting themselves and taking a couple of inches steps away to afford themselves the breath for the entirety of the dwarves to like go through in their big giant phalanx movement. And as you guys are walking through, he stops at one point at a bush that clearly bears no berries. And he puts his staff inside, jostles it around, and all of a sudden a bunch of plump little blueberries plop up onto it. And he just starts plucking a few of them and eats them. And he spits one out. He's like, this is out of season. Gross. Well, and with that, anybody else who goes to eat one, they're delicious. But with that, eventually you guys reach a point where you rest for the evening. And he does much the same sort of situation with the giant plants here, as well as providing enough food for the party through different roots that kind of lift themselves up out of the ground clean for everybody to just kind of take a few husks off, cook it in pails and whatnot. But yeah, and as nighttime comes, he just lays himself down on the ground, flat on his back, right off in the pasture of grass, lays the staff across his chest. He just looks up at the sky, puts one foot over the other one, and he just sort of whistles and smokes his little halfling pipe, which he has produced from his beard, and begins smoking some of the dankest halfling um, tobacco that you have ever smelled in your entire life. And he's just having a good old night blowing rings up into the air. And as dwarvish children see these little smoke rings coming out of the air, he starts coughing and waving his hand around. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But no, he starts making little shapes, like little ships and rams and sheep and stuff like that. And they all just seem to crash into one another, making a little show. And finally, he lets out a giant laborious yawn and just rolls over and goes to sleep. So, is there anything you guys wanted to do now in the uh, halfling nature camp? At some point, Norhel would like to ask um, the keeper where we're going. <laughs> so, like, as he's... he realizes, like he's not just taking us to a different part of the town, and then Norhel will walk <laughs> up and be like, "If I may, if I may, do you mind if I ask where we're going?" He's and he just kind of waves a hand up at you, and he says, "Yeah, ten more minutes. Leave me alone." I just had like three statements begin and you all stopped with giggles and nobody continued <laughs> what's happening I'll lead the conversation yeah, there you go Jurassic steps in I step I, on him I didn't have anything to add though uh oh well with that the uh, little halfling sits up and he says wait a minute we're not going the right way at all. Oh, wait. No, yes, we are. And he just lays back down and goes to sleep again. He seems right, to be... Uh, so is going to spend uh, a decent portion of the night you know, making assurances to the dwarves that the, <laughs> you know, the keeper of the staff uh, has a plan and he's taking us somewhere important for sure. Okay. And with that, the dwarves all believe you and are just comforted by the fact that this guy, whoever he is, has provided them sort of the most genuinely comfortable stay they've had while on their very strange journey out of the rocks and the mountains. So when morning comes, 
he mentions that it's only a day away from where you guys are. Are there any other halflings in like following him around? Like they're just letting the leader of their place just go on their own with a bunch of strangers? Well, I mean, Kalika said it's time to go, so we just went. Uh, what is it, if you don't mind my asking? Well, you know, the council. The council, yes, of course. Um, who currently sits on the council? Uh, well, me. And then there's uh, Rudaloo, uh, Ugu, uh, Gilish, Ivwiggle, Kablop, Iflamblamblam, Vadthu, uh, and then Aldo. Yeah, me. Aldo Feraltesel, that's me. Said himself twice. That's my twin. <laughs> but don't tell him we're the same person. We're never in the same room at the same time. <laughs> he ducks behind the bush, comes out wearing a different hat. <laughs> but with that, he says, why do you ask? Just curious. Um, I'd like to know, you know what we're getting into whom I'm going to be speaking to. Mm -hmm. And so with that, at a certain point here, he stops and starts to fondle around at, at, at his like at his straps here on his on his suspenders. And he says, oh, oh no, in blazes. Goodness, no. And he stops, he throws the staff to the ground, and he immediately lands on his knees, puts his hands to the ground, and lowers his head to the ground forehead first, and just sits there very quietly. Is something wrong? And he doesn't answer. Can I do like an insight or something? Maybe it's something religious in nature or something bad or he senses something. Well, what would you like to roll? Um, I'll do an insight first. I don't know if there's any religious ties to the... I mean, you could roll a religion check. Try religion first. And by the way, I'm just curious after that whole thing that happened on the hill is I know I haven't really used Dutch, but is um is Anton's magic working again? What do you mean? Like I know it like when the aspect was there, he wasn't getting any luck with the lantern or anything. I just I was just curious if he like lost a connection or anything or if it was just while the aspect oh, it was just the time being. Okay. Just that uh, much got, darkness. Was able to snuff out the light for the time being. But what did you get? 23 on religion. So this is very clearly something that's maybe not religious, but it's definitely a cultural thing. But it, it definitely seems like this is almost like a pseudo meditative state as he enters such like a humble position and is so quiet and so silent and like regulating his breathing so perfectly that this seems to be like a meditative trance. He kind of looks toward Orhill and he says... I think we should leave him be. He's clearly focusing on something. All right. And so a good five minutes pass. And with that, he finally lifts himself up and looks at everybody. And once you guys see his face, his face looks kind of wet and dusty, as if he may have been crying at one point while down there or in a very deep and emotional state. And he stands up, dusts himself off, and he says, well... All right, I suppose now is the time to go. Shall we? Yes, we shall. And so with that, he continues on his way down the uh, path through the thickets of forest until you guys can smell the salty air of the coast. 
And by about nightfall, you guys wander into what could only be described as a coastal city, a port city of sorts. Um, anybody who's had much experience traveling on the uh, eastern coast would know this to be the city of Enton. But Enton is the only city known to the Quarrydale folk, the Quarry folk themselves. And this place, just from walking in and seeing the size of the houses, there are humanoids who live here that aren't gnomes and halflings. And at this point, both uh, Ach and uh, Yigkalith have sort of a moment where they turn to you guys and they say, if it's all good by you guys, I think now may be our time to leave. And Ox says, I mean, I really came just to play stones and dice, and um, I don't want to say I'm understimulated, but I think now is the time for me to leave. You were never unfree to go. Um, and, you know, go with grace. And with that, Yig Caliph gives like a, a dipping, a curtsy sort of thing, and Og sort of just leans forward his head in a sort of nod, and he says, it was nice traveling with all of you. If you need anything, you may find us somewhere in the city. And with that, they dip and sort of, as you guys begin to head in through one of the main gates here in Enton, he, uh, both of those two turn off and start going down one of the side passages into a different district. But at this point, the halfling who's leading the group stops and pauses again, fondling at his breeches and stops in front of everybody. He says, Oh, you can't come in here. Not you, as he points to Norhill, then to Jarzak, then to Anton and the Kliga, and says, you all are fine to come with us. But I don't think there's enough room for all of you. And so he, that he kind of leans in towards Norhill and the gang says, tell them to set up camp somewhere farther away. We, we will do our business at the council. They've got my mail for my pigeon. They really love that. But okay. I don't think there's enough room and board for you all in here, you see. Um, what's your pigeon's name? I don't name them. Well, that's rude. Well, you know, they don't talk much. I don't know what you want me to tell you. Mm. Yeah, well, Norhill will deliver the instructions at his own council. Okay. And also, Wait, I'm sorry. Somebody to deliver word on the progress of the talks as soon as possible. Okay. And so with that, did you want maybe your father to come with you or one of the members of that council you had appointed? Take the priest. Yeah, he's been very objective. Yeah. Power move, Anthony. Yeah, that is a good <laughs> point. Um, Norhill will allow the council to appoint like, I guess like a footman or something. I wouldn't know how to you know, like yeah. a courier? Yeah. Right. Know, a courier would be specific to deliver messages. You know, just uh, somebody to be, you know, uh, Norhill's, you know, hands and feet during the talk. Okay. And so with that, they pick one of the artisan guildhall masters to take on the position. And he follows quietly and very sternly alongside you guys um, as you head off to the city of Enton. And as you guys mosey into the city as night descends and you guys can see the moon dip onto the uh, coastal waters, much like it did with Eagle Heart, um, you guys can tell this place is booming with a lot of spices, smells, and trade that you had never seen in Eagle Heart, nor in many other places. 
seeing other Goliaths out here, the occasional ogre wandering about, and just hundreds of gnomes and halflings. And this place is just such a weird space where heights are so meshed and strange here. You can see that most buildings have like a half door, like a doggy door sort of thing set up for smaller folk and the bigger door for the bigger ones who happen to fit into these locations. Um, every once in a while, you guys pass alleyways where ogres are just like sleeping and just in like a heap, just unconsciously sleeping in a little alleyway. But for what it's worth, the place is safe enough. It doesn't seem like mean streets, but this place has a nightlife going to it. And with that, the halfling Aldo is leading you off to what could be described as sort of the castle of this place. It sits on a, a bit of a lifted hill out here. And as you guys wander closer and closer still, you can see that moonlight reflects off a dome to the place and sort of gives off scintillating patterns which breach off into the waters on the bay outside of this place. And as you guys get closer and closer, it does seem like the city itself cleans into more gnomish constructed homes and halfling constructed homes. And once you reach the gates of this place, it is only gnomes and whatnot. But as you approach, uh, the castle itself seems to take on a different form now that you've approached closer and closer and gotten up to the top of the hill by the gatehouses. The entirety of the castle seems to diminish and take on sort of a different form. At this point, since the Aldo Fell Thistle is leading you guys, none of the guards at these posts have stopped you. But once you get closer and closer still, the actual castle itself is through illusion made to look like a fully reinforced and fully like decked out place. But after walking through various layers of illusionary magics, you guys can clearly tell that the actual place itself is nothing more than like a large gemstone encrusted cylindrical dome that just sort of goes way up and reaches a pinnacle point, like a globe sort of top. And this place itself is encrusted with like sort of marble to hold it all together, but many stained glass windows that, to the naked eye may actually just be large panes of gemstone which make various detailed designs of magic spells and critters and whatnot but it's just a kaleidoscopic pile of colorful like just i don't know it, it just is a kaleidoscope come to life in architectural form but as you guys approach he leads you to a small circle of stones and he pulls out his staff again and sort of walks around the circle of stones and tells everybody to step on the stones and to walk into the center and to hold your breath. But he gives a couple of taps with the staff on the outside, says a couple of words in a halfling, and you guys all immediately see a stairwell appear before you, and he starts to walk up it as if he's walked up it every single day of his life. And as he takes a couple of steps, he disappears and like into a, a sort of dust and flies on the wind. That's weird. Uh, yeah, Norhill braces himself and goes up. Okay. Well, well he's dead. Oh, there goes Norhill. He's like, just gives a nod yeah, and he's kind of... Airway of disintegration. <laughs> Got another one. <laughs> Stupid idiot. 
and yay the quest was canceled um and so as the party begins to do so you take on what could only be described as an involuntary gaseous form and you guys all drift on the wind and sort of circle about the dome encampment here and filter in through little crevices in the marble structure before reforming here in the center of the dome where there are indeed uh, a series of different colors that sort of in the dome take up like different like I almost want to call them like orange slices as you guys are inside the dome, but you can see it sectioned off in various ways. But in the center of this place uh, is a small marble dais that's raised, but sitting in each and every one of these little slices, you can see a gnome sitting in a small little chair of the same color and make gemstone encrusted of the robes that they wear, as well as the staff that they wear. Um, and each of them sits regally on their little spot here, both men and women, young and old, and they all just sort of sit looking in at you guys who now stand around this centerpiece. And at this point, they all sort of address you guys coming in with a hail and all kind of nod their heads, some of them saying it in a gnomish dialect. But with that, Aldo sort of holds his hand up and an old man is kind of like, yeah, 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 and he walks over and he puts his staff into the center and at this point out of absolutely nowhere uh a large diamond appears with multiple facets on it and multiple structural points that as it lowers down into the position on top of the staff perfectly locking onto it as if it was always meant to sit there a scintillating pattern of lights reflect from the inside of the staff and reflect onto each and every wedge of color inside this room with each of the gnomes sitting in it and as the light shines off and beams into each one of these corners and illuminates their position, the color seems to like become more vibrant and more alive. And the whole room becomes sort of a trippy black light poster of colors blending in places where it never did before. And everybody has a moment of seeing transcending colors that they had never experienced to the point it's almost in an emotional experience to see such weirdly trippy and like existential color like metaphysical color, like color that's beyond the sense of color. You feel blue, you can smell yellow, you can hear red. And the whole room has this weird, like overwhelming feeling. But as that happens, all the color sort of filters back and reflects back into the light in the center and the diamond at the head of the staff. And the staff vibrates for just a moment before giving off an ambient light. And with that, all people stand here quietly and the one halfling, I mean, the one gnome in red chimes in in his little tiny voice and says, I, of the red, ask unto you, dwarf, what is your business here in Quarrydale? Why have you come here? Uh, so Norhill will step forward. He will introduce himself as Norhill Hammerstone, Lord of the Halls of Silver and Steel. I have come to seek refuge for my people as we flee our home from the great enemy. And then that, you know, he's given time he'll launch into the story, but it sounds like you were going to say something. Before you can even begin, the orange gnome, who is a, a lady, she leans forward and she says, if I may interrupt, there are two lords in the halls of the dwarves. You are but one, if my eyes do not deceive. What has happened to cause such alarm? Is it true what they say of the halls? Unfortunately, the rumors are true. Uh, two lords are there no longer. And they say, yes, three tragedies befall us. 
and yea, the prophecy is done. We must not look at this as a time of pain, but remember that three tragedies are completed. And yea, we may rebuild. And with that, they all start to kind of murmur and nod to one another. And so they look towards you guys and they say, if it is peace that you wish, it is peace we may have. Now is the time to rejoice. From the pain of your people comes the peace for all. Peace indeed. And so with that, the uh, gnome in the indigo sort of robes here, he leans forward and he says, if I may, I ask, for what do you request peace? That one's probably Glipglob. Fucking Glipglob. No, this one's name is... Uh, if la blame a lamb. Dang it. Well, Black Betty, if blame a lamb. Uh, I request peace in the hopes that you will allow my people to settle here uh, for such a time as they need it. And so that one of the gnomes chimes in this one of the yellow robes. Gilish, he steps in and he's probably the youngest in the council. And he says, for what purpose would you ask for peace from us? You have everything. Sure, you may have lost your home. Call upon your allies. The humans to the north. The elves to the west. Surely somebody can take care of you. Why would you come to us? This the is not a place of friendship. Uh, the humans of the north are besieged by a terrible enemy. An immortal that calls itself the Herald of Steel. Even on yeah. our march here, we saw the fires of the siege of Duskwave. And so with that, they all kind of murmur back and forth to one another and they say, there are no fires in Dustwind. Dustwind is just over the Akeratos Mountain, near where we all call home in Goggleglint. There are no fires there. But we have seen strange occurrences in the mountains far up. A strange being illuminates the mountaintop. Is this what you speak? Well, that is a related matter, yes. <laughs> they all begin to murmur to one another, wondering how on earth that's a related matter. But with that, they say, no, the encampments outside of Eagleheart are what we speak of. That is where the smoke and the fire comes from. Hmm. I must have been mistaken. But uh, know this, I did attempt to uh, treat with the Queen of Amaroth and Eagleheart before I made my own way back to the halls. She would not help, uh, shining the troubles with the Herald of Steel. They all look absolutely bumfuzzled by such a comment, and they say, but clearly that is your ally in this world. The humans have done well to be friends with you, those of Dustwind having peace. But the humans of Amaroth have done well to be partnered with the dwarves. Now, why would she not join people, you? It seems that their people have a short memory. Perhaps. And with that, Aldo kind of giggles to himself, pulls out another piece of candy and starts eating it watching this all like it's some weird like musical event or something like that and it's going into its second act and so he hands one piece over to Klika and one piece over to Jarzak he immediately just starts coming on it yeah. Anton looks toward the first gnome in the red and he says I apologize to interrupt but you mentioned three tragedies yes 
And with that Aldo with candy in mouth, kind of doing that thing where like somebody's got way too big a piece of candy in their mouth and they're trying to talk and it's clacking on their teeth. But in this case, it's only two teeth. So he's just like, yeah, I saw it in the stars long time ago. I saw this all coming when I was just a wee sprout. And he says, first was the tragedy of the bleeding stones. Then there's the tragedy with the Herald of Steel. And then the dwarves. That's three tragedies. The stars wouldn't lie. And with that, they all kind of just nod, trusting his word. I thought the Herald of Steel was the reason with the dwarves. I didn't think they were. Well, many people have died, not just the dwarves. People seek refuge in our city from far away and from very close. As he continues to gum the candy. And so with that, one of the speakers says, if it is peace that you wish, peace we will give. If it will bring forgiveness for all the crimes that we've committed, one of the tragedies at least can be amended and our people can begin to heal. We have for the past hundred years or so taken it upon ourselves to meditate on the tragedy that we had caused and the pain and suffering that we had caused and we, as a culture, make it a point to remember every day the pain that we cause the world through our negligence and through our greed and our fear. We chose never to close our doors to anybody ever again. And that's why you see very many strange creatures walking our streets. We would never fear anyone again after our people failed so miserably. And for that, you have our sincerest of apologies, Lord Hammerstone. We apologize for what our people had let happen and whatever it was of the old council that allowed for such a thing to occur, we cannot begin to fathom for it is definitely not in our hearts to be so evil. And for that, we are all greatly sorry. And they all slowly fall from their seats, lean in and place heads down onto the ground and do that same sort of position that Aldo had done before. And you hear everybody sort of come to a silence. And with that, Norhill, I imagine standing for speaking in here, stands amongst all the uh, little leaned-in child forms of all the gnomes. And what do you have to say about it? Uh, Norhill will say, please stand. No apologies are necessary, for I know something that you know not. The, the council was not responsible for the tragedy in the War of the Bleeding Stones, for it was a gnome by the name of Thubani in Bolt's Crag Peak. And so with that, Manipulated a few of them, by the deceiver who is responsible for it. A few of them begin to kind of stand up wryly, sort of looking the whole party up and down. And Jarzak, at the mention of the deceiver, you feel the back of your neck begin to itch. And you feel your gauntlet begin to chill on your bone. And with that, they say, what do you speak of? And the one in the uh, purple robes, Vadthu, steps forward and says, if this is some kind of cruel joke, we offered you our peace. The lamentations of our people have been long and painful and has done much to destroy the spirit that we hold dear to our hearts. If you wish to hold this over our heads and try to lie to us, to lift our spirits, know that our guilt is not just for show. We truly bear the pain of what we have caused the world. 
but this is the third tragedy, and thus we can rebuild and heal. We don't need your niceties. Uh, it's, it's not a lie. We found a note from Dubani. You feel your throat begin to constrict as you speak, Charzak. <clears throat> and with that, everybody can see you have a moment and where, like, your Adam's I, apple I, literally, I like, shits up. I carry proof that I joke uh, that I joke not. Uh, does Norhill know that Jarzak is carrying the letter? Uh, Jarzak, does Norhill know? Yeah, uh, he Jarzak had given it to Norhill to read. Okay. Yeah, so you know, Jarzak, the letter, please, and I'll thank you. And so with that, he'll, he'll read he'll read the letter out, uh, word for word, as hard as it might be. And with that, all the gnomes sit wide-eyed and like absolutely alarmed at this point. And Jarzak begins to go into a coughing fit as if all the oxygen in the room has like left and you're left with a very strangled position and you begin to cough and wheeze. Uh, Anton's gonna go over. See, like, it's, like there's any chance of like, um, I'm gonna step outside. Your light wounds do anything? No, that wouldn't do much of anything to it. And with that, they say, you may not leave the council until we have finished. We apologize for this inconvenience. But so is the way. If you're coughing, please just take a moment to yourself. Okay. So what does Jarzak do? Uh, Jarzak's gonna try to restrain the cough some and just like out of habit, just like kind of squeezes the the hilt of his sword. So to hold the- and go ahead. No, I was going to say, even before your hand reaches it and you have that moment where you're trying to like center yourself, as soon as you center yourself and go to touch the blade, before your hand even touches it, you can feel the cough suppress and you feel yourself swallow this like writhing, itchy lump and you hit a point where you're just certainly not held by the cough anymore. And as you go to touch the uh, the handle there of the sword, you pull your hand back, realizing that that wasn't going to fix it. And you just have this reassuring moment where you're just kind of like, Ooh. And so with that, they all kind of look at each other and they say, are you good to proceed? Oh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I've, I'm fine. I just want some fresh air, that's all. And so with that, they look to you guys again and they say, have you cleaned Bolt's Crag Peak? Where did you find this? Uh, in the chambers of Suvani himself. Uh, Bolt's Crag Peak may not be completely empty of dangerous contraptions and the like, but it has been cleansed of the shadow. Uh, the light that you uh, d- described seeing up there is a creature of the light itself. It's called a Anton. What is it called? Yeah, Anton. What's it called? I don't remember. It's like a golden seahorse. Anton just makes a little yeah. The golden seahorse. It's the golden seahorse. And he just kind of does the little prayer. And with that, they all just sort of look at each other back and forth and they say, well, this is good news. We shall send out a search party from Glint. Perhaps the old ways in the bottom of the mountain are still free for, for, for movement. Perhaps the darkened path is less dark now. And they all seem to be very excited by this point. And with that, one of the members of the council, the red one, again, sort of stops for a moment and he holds up his hand and he says, 
this is not a time to rejoice. Whether or not this information is true or false, there is much to be done here. But if this is true, that the one they named Thubani is the one behind all of this, and it's true that it's not a failing of the gnomes, but just a merely a twist of the noose by the deceiver. And if what he says is true, and everybody looks over to Aldo, who at this point is like picking bugs out of his beard and like petting them gently and putting them back in. If it's true what he says about three tragedies written in the stars, then that means we still have one tragedy left. So everybody goes quiet and just starts to like swallow that fact a little bit harder than before. And they say, well, then if it is the case that you wish to broker peace and there's no bad blood between us, merely a misunderstanding that has led to such bloodshed, then we may have peace easily. It's no question. In fact, at a time like this, when the queen herself may be turning her back on you, I, as Rudalu, the red of the Council of Colors, I stand before you and request amongst my council members for an alliance of our peoples. Yeah, you may be small in number, but if there's anything to be said about the truth of our cultures and our people, we may be strong together. And I think it is time we lower the borders we have put forward. And with that, the violet, the indigo, the orange, the yellow, the green, all begin to stand up and agree in this. Aldo, forgetting where he is, also stands up and kind of puts his hand to his head in a weird salute. And he says, I agree to what they said whatever it may be and with that they all sort of look down upon norhill and they say as lord of the hall do you accept such alliance of our peoples i am more than happy to accept and with that everybody sort of has like a moment of like they want to be cheerful they want to be happy about this but they don't want to be too early about cheering and getting back to their gnomish giddiness and you can see smiles creeping across all the jovial little childlike faces in the room. But they all slowly kind of turn inward and they say, but if your story is true and there's one tragedy left, we still don't have your home. And I think at this point, it is not a matter of rejoicing. It is a night to plot vengeance. And before this council breaks, we will have a plan for what to do next. Vengeance will be had. And that is where we're going to end it. Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter. Or you can even send me an email at youngbrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Oh, no, 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 no.